Welcome to the PG Growth Planned Giving Podcast. Thanks, everyone, for joining me today on the PG Growth Plan Giving Podcast. I'm Ed Sluga. Today, I'm joined by Colleen DeJager. Colleen is a well-known fundraiser working in plan giving for the London Health Sciences Foundation. Prior to that, Colleen worked as a trust officer in the London area, and that meant she brought a very unique set of skills to her role at London Health Sciences Foundation. Now, semi-retired, Colleen joined me for a discussion when I was in London recently, and what we talked about were all of the important things that a charity and the representative of the charity needs to know when working on behalf of the charity and, by extension, on behalf of the donor when helping to administrate the estate and to bring it to conclusion. I started off by asking Colleen about what estate administration meant from the charity's point of view. We then went on to talk about some of the skills and some of the details one should think about and acquire as this process is going forward. It's a really interesting discussion. Estate administration is a growing need of expertise in the charitable sector, and Colleen's insight was really powerful and very important. We should all have a listen. So sit back and listen to Colleen DeJagger talk about estate administration. What does estate administration mean within the charity's context when it looks at estate administration? Okay, and I think um, key there on that topic would be the fact that um, when you get an estate left to your organization, Um, the the donor has held you in the highest esteem, almost like a family member. They've elevated you to that status. So you have a duty um, to the donor to make sure that things are done the way they want done. Um, It's a fiduciary obligation, really. And there's also a fiduciary um, obligation to the charity itself to make sure that um, the terms of the will are carried out according to the law, and in a timely way. So um, that's a key aspect of of being in the administration role. Um, In order to make sure that happens, timelines are really important. You need to make sure that some estates, if you you just leave executors up to their own devices, sometimes they can take five years to do an estate. So it's really important to keep them on target and on time without coming across like a greedy um, charity. Um, so It's a partnership them, with them, really, isn't it? It's, it, it it's is. about working with them as opposed to being adversarial. That's right, and, and that's really, really important because there is a mentality out there that charities should just be grateful for what they're getting. And if you ask a question, simply a little question, it can be taken the wrong way. So it's all the way you say things and the way you treat your executors and trustees. Yeah, absolutely. And so I just, you know, you use the word fiduciary a couple of times, and I think that's an important thing for you to maybe just give us a little bit of information about. I know uh, it's something that I use on occasion, and sometimes when you look out, if you're making a presentation, the eyes gloss over as soon as you use a term like that, but it is important. (laughs) So maybe just give us the technical definition of what fiduciary means. Yeah, a fiduciary duty is is a very uh, highly 
regarded obligation and it's very highly respected by the courts mainly when it comes to estates. And if you look in the dictionary, um, like Black's Law Dictionary is probably the best definition because it's very simple. It's just that when one party must act for another and they're entrusted with the care of property or funds. So the court looks upon fiduciary obligation very, very highly and they will um, there's lots of lots of um, activity in the courts around uh, people who fail to meet that fiduciary duty and administer an estate the way it's supposed to be done. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because you and I have talked about this before, but the reality is, oftentimes the professional believes they're working on behalf of the charity, which is true. But they are they've got a big part of this is working on behalf of the donor. What are the donor's wishes? Absolutely. And that's part of the fiduciary responsibility. Yeah, and that can be a source of conflict if you don't handle it right when you're dealing with a trustee because they don't understand. Again, there's that perception you should just be grateful for what you're getting, but they don't understand that as a charity, the donor has entrusted you with this money. And if they've you know put conditions around the gift, it's your obligation to make sure that that's done appropriately and not only does the charity use the money the way the donor wants, but that the trustee presents that money to you in the way the donor expected. And sometimes that can be a difficult message to deliver when you're dealing with a lawyer um, or, or a trustee because they have it in their head how they want to do it. Yeah. But it's not always the same as what the donor wanted. Yeah, absolutely. And to that point, talk to us a little bit about some of the key things to think about when you're entering into the estate administration process. So we talked, you just talked a little bit about the responsibilities, the obligation, what you're looking out for, the fiduciary activity that you have to undertake. But okay, now you've gotten a will, um, you know, or notification actually is the first thing you get of someone's passing and that you've been named in the will. Some of the key things to think about, the key benchmarks perhaps over the course of the, the administration of that, what are, what are those? Well, um, I think initially you've hit the nail on the head. The key is when you get notified, which is under the rules of civil procedure, those things are set out by the courts. Uh, when you get your notification, it's really important to read the will and to understand what you're reading, um, to understand what are the pieces that make um, a will valid. There are certain things that make an invalid will. And, you know, if you're dealing with a lawyer, um, there's, lawyers do all kinds of different law. And if you're not dealing with an estate specialist, sometimes little things can get missed. Um, like there's an intestacy in a will where, um, you know, really there's a share that hasn't been stated what to do with. Um, or, um, you know, there's, there's an invalid will. Uh, the, the, sometimes that gets missed. You have to be aware of that. And then understanding the complexities or not of the estate, um, it can help you with setting expectations for your own charity. Um, for the lawyer you're dealing with, for the trustee. Um, it helps with uh, down the line if you are a residual beneficiary and you have to approve the fees. Um, it'll give you an idea, um, you know, what fees are acceptable, is it reasonable, um, those kinds of things as well. So are you interested in the actual timelines that you Well, mentioned? a little bit of that. I think, you know, what the fact is I've seen this over the course of my time working in plan giving is a lot of times 
our plan giving officers out there in the smaller shops. I'm not talking about the larger places that have a state administration departments. Mm -hmm. um, and even sometimes the CFO or the, the, the uh, financial person within the organization takes on the role That's of right. the state administration manager within the organization, but they really don't have a lot of experience with it. So some of the other key benchmarks, yeah, absolutely, okay. in terms of, you know, how long, you know, A, uh, I know that um, whether you are a designated, you have a designated amount within a will or you, or you have a, um, a residual amount of percentage, you have a right, for example, to see the entire will. Right. A lot of times lawyers or state trustees will send only the paragraph that cites the charity. Right. And uh, that happens particularly or mostly when it's a designated amount, whether right. it's $10,000 or a million dollars. They'll send you one paragraph. Right. But you really have the uh, right to see the entire will. As you said earlier, you should read the entire will, whether it's a right. designated amount or, or not. But So some of the other things I've heard you speak about before is in terms of the time. How long does it take to administer? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and at what point should you perhaps nudge? Right. <laughs> or you send a little reminder or mm -hmm. ask to see them if they'd like to have coffee together right. or something along those lines. Yeah, without a billing on that. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, now to your point about um, if you're a legatee, which means you're getting a specific something, in the, yeah. whether it's a piece of furniture or money, like $10,000 or some stock, that's all you're getting. That would be a legatee. Yeah. Um, and then the other is the residue where you're getting a percentage of, uh, or a share of the residue, what's left after all the expenses are paid and the legacies are paid out. Um, under the rules, um, it's really up to the solicitor whether he wants to send the entire will or just a snippet. All he's entitled, or all he, all the charity is legally entitled to see in a legatee situation is the quote from the will as okay. to their interest. But the lawyer can send the whole will. It's up to him. Okay. If it's a residual, you mean the estate trustee, not necessarily the lawyer. Usually, the lawyers are the ones. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And this is where it becomes a little bit murky between the estate trustee and perhaps the lawyer working on behalf of the estate. Trustee. That's right. And typically, what I find is, um, if you're a, if you're an individual trustee administering an estate, um, the lawyer will do a lot of that heavy lifting. Whereas, um, if it's a corporate trustee like Canada Trust, Royal Trust. Um, typically, the lawyer will send the initial notice of um, application that the trustee is moving forward to apply for probate. But after that, yeah. the the uh, corporate trustee will send out the will and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. And so, so how long do, does the estate administration time take? I mean, what's the process? What's the timeline? Okay. So like an average, uh, like a straightforward estate, um, if there's no significant issues, um, should take anywhere from one and a half to two and a half years to administer. Um, in Ontario, depending on the jurisdiction, um, the timing to probate the will can really range quite widely because certain jurisdictions have a backup right now. In, in London, for example, is three or four month wait um, to the point where um, lawyers are sometimes, if it's a really emergent issue they need to administer in an estate, um, they will sometimes go to, there's an arrangement to go to another jurisdiction and probate the will there. Mm -hmm. uh, but in Ontario, it can, it can be as much as three to four months or more. So when you get your an original notification, you send out a letter acknowledging receipt so the lawyer knows you've received that information, and then you want to diarize for maybe, maybe six months out, yeah. just, just to make sure you have enough time to follow up and see if you've gotten something back on the administration pro progression. Um, and then 
um, following up, okay, so six months. Um, for specific bequests, once they've issued the probate, um, the assets are gathered into the estate and the debts are paid, the specific bequests are paid, you know, that $10,000 to people. Um, and they, um, generally, this can be achieved within the six-month period, so that's kind of your, your baseline. And then um, you can also expect to receive, in a straightforward estate, a residual interim distribution in that time period. Um, but taxes um, can cause a big delay. That's where you run into the most problem, where um, they can't find the assets, maybe, um, which would slow down the administration. But um, CRA... Um, it depends on their backlog as well. So there's a there's a T1, a, a regular tax return like you and I file every every day or every year. That has to be filed from January to the date of death. Um, then you have the, a T3, which goes from the date of death to um, a year end that the executor has chosen. And now with all the changes in the um, in the um, timing, uh, the, the, the rules, um, executors have quite a range of like five to six years in which they can time the payments to charity. So it, it, there's a lot of factors that go into Yeah, the so there's a lot of patience, I think, yes. uh, what I'm hearing from your, your discussion, patience and uh, uh, willingness to work with as opposed to against uh, those people on the other side administrating the will because they, they require the patience. It does, it's not a simple process. Right. The gathering of assets can take a while, I take it. It can, and sometimes you can't find your beneficiaries. Uh, sometimes beneficiaries are in Europe somewhere, and at one time when there was the Iron Curtain, that was a real problem. Yes. And a lot of these countries in Europe, um, you know, you have to make payments in um, the denominated uh, value of that currency. You can't send a Canadian check. Sometimes you have to pay a bank directly instead of sending it to the beneficiary. There's all kinds of little nuances that you have to deal yeah. with. So. It's just staying on in touch with your executor. That's the most important thing. And through that process, you can also build a relationship with them as well. Yeah, that's great. So just I wanted to switch gears just a little bit. Again, a lot of the people who are out there uh, working on behalf of the charity, administrating the estate, um, don't do it on, on a daily basis. It might be something that's uh, off the side of their desk. So perhaps just talk about some key skills. If I want to, this is now my... Uh, oversight uh, area, whether I'm a financial person, whether I'm a fundraiser within an organization, what are the key skills that I ought to try and uh, and uh, get stronger in so that I can make sure that I'm really working and, and, and on behalf of the donor, on behalf of the charity to a great degree? Um, well, I think a wise person once said to me that if you really want to learn the steps in a, in any kind of finance or uh, estate planning thing is to go do it yourself. Yeah. So um, go through the process of doing a will. Go through the process of speaking to your financial planner and bringing philanthropy into the picture and see what they have to say. And maybe they don't even know about philanthropy. A lot of them don't even want to talk about it because they don't feel they understand it, which is kind of weird. But um, and then there's buying insurance. You know, go through the process, do the steps, understand. That's the best way to do it is by doing it yourself, right? Um, but learning to read and understand a will, that's, that's really important um, because that's your key job as the um, plan-giving administrator um, is knowing the components I mentioned earlier about the validity, for example, of a will. Um, learning to read the statements of account. What can an executor charge for and what can he not charge for? Um, understanding a legal bill. Um, is the legal fee exorbitant? There used to be a thing called tariff 
back in the 70s. And it was um, not really outlawed in the 80s, but it was made very, uh, um, it's a bad thing for lawyers to charge, but, and it was based on a percentage of the assets of the estate. And there are some lawyers, older lawyers generally, um, who try to charge tariff these days, which can be quite almost as expensive as the executor's fees, which are also based on a percentage of the value of the estate. And, you know, trying to figure out, you know, you have to call the lawyer and say, you know what, I'm not comfortable with this fee, I'd like a time docket. Well, I don't want to do a time docket. Well, you're going to have to do a time docket. So it's yeah. it's how to deal with those things without looking, again, like a greedy charity. Um, and, and that speaks into the aspect of tact. Um, the emotional intelligence to determine when to speak to a family, when not to speak. Sometimes the family's not very happy that you're the beneficiary. So I generally make it a policy to offer, to, as a result of my acknowledgement letter, please let us know if there's any family we can thank. But I don't proactively go and talk to the family because you don't know what you're walking into. Um, and the willingness also to collaborate with other charities. If you're dealing with a problem and there's other charities in the will, call them. Talk to them. Um, have a united front. Go forward. I wouldn't recommend telling the executor you've talked, but go forward. Everybody writes the same letter. We have these issues with the administration. Can we please discuss? And the other thing, too, is picking up the phone. Sending a letter to an executor or a trustee with concerns can come across as very um, um, argumentative and uh, confrontational. It's better to pick up the phone Build the rapport as you're talking to them. Use the inflections in your voice to get a little friendship going, and then you hit them with the questions. And it's all about deferring to their expertise. Even though you you know probably more than they do about this issue, um, you have to recognize that they are the lawyer and or they are the executor, and you have to respect that role and speak to them in those terms so you don't come across as adversarial. Yeah, so a good group both of hard skills... Yeah. But also soft skills. Absolutely. And as fundraisers, of course, we're good at both of those. We have things. to be, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks a lot for taking a little time on this really important subject. Yeah, thank you, Ed. For more information about the PG Growth Plan Giving Podcast, you can go to our website at www.pggrowth.com. You can also find us on iTunes and also Google Play. We're always grateful when you take the time to listen. If you want to send me an email, ask any questions, get some more information or comment about this podcast, you can reach me at ed at pggrowth.com. Until next time, thanks again for listening.